Good morning. Good morning, Rabbi Welcome to Breakfast in the Class. Breakfast in the Class today is sponsored by uh, and dedicated by the proud great-grandparents, Jem and Sal Saslovich, the Saslovich and Zbidi families, on the birth of baby girl to Avram and Adina Saslovich. Uh, Hazaku Baruch, congratulations, Mazal Tov. Uh, also dedicated for the speedy and completed for Hashem of Lorraine Frankel, the Abba Mazal, by her children and grandchildren. As well, dedicated for the speedy and completed for Hashem of Yitzchak Ben Meyam, sponsored anonymously. And for the, uh, uh, sponsored also by Ralph Batesh, dedicated in honor of all the Kohanim, Hazaku Baruch, um, uh, for all the Berachot that you give us each and every day. As well, dedicated for the Hashem speedy and complete of Eliza Bat Linda and Sarah Bat Betty. Sponsored by Albert Jamus and Ezra Azrak. And the Week of Cobra was sponsored by David Ash in honor of you and your substantial capacity to do good today and every day. Um, as well, we'd like to dedicate today's class for the Rufu of Chanoch Tzadok Ben Mazal and uh, Yaakov Israel Ben Tamar Malka. Okay, my friends, the Pasuk. Uh, demands of us in what is one of the most famous pesukim in all of the Torah, that you have an obligation to love your friend as yourself. That's what the pasuk says. And this becomes a cornerstone of all the Torah as is taught by Hillel to the uh, convert that wants to convert while standing on one leg. It is taught by Rabbi Akiva as a klal gadol Torah. It's a general principle that encompasses all of the Torah within it. Okay? All uh, of those lofty statements that are made in the Gemara about the Ahaftariach Kamocha. Now, what I saw in the Sefer Arve Nahal is something unbelievable, beautiful insight into this Pasuk and into what it means. He writes something extraordinary. He says that if a person was to, uh, was to ask themselves what this means, the Ahaftariach Kamocha, that you have to love your friend like yourself. What does that mean? It sounds like, uh, first of all, uh, an excessive goal to ask of a person. How could you ask of someone to love someone else as much as they love themselves? One is the most natural thing in the world and the other is maybe perhaps even a little bit of a reach to, you know, to try and get to. However, <clears throat> I'd like to quote to you something unbelievable. The Gemara tells us in Berachot uh, Samach Aleph 61, Yesh b'nei adam, there are some people, shemamonam chaviv alehem migufam, that their money is worth more to them than their lives. Right? You have some people that are like that. In fact, that's why we say in the Shema, ve'ahavta et Hashem elokeim chol vavecha, uchol nafshecha, chol meodecha. It goes from one to the next to the next. Chol vavecha with all your heart. Chol nafshecha with all your soul. What does it mean, chol vavecha? With all of your desires. With your yetzer atov, with your Yetzirah, B'Shnei Yetzirah. What does it mean, B'chol Nafshecha? Even if they ask you to give up your life uh, in the service of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, sometimes a person has to sacrifice his life rather than do the big uh, three Averot, okay? And then the last thing is, so it's going ascending, rising. And then the last thing is, B'chol Nafshecha with all your money. How could that be after the one that asked you to give up your life? And the Gemara actually says, because there are some people whose money is more important to them than their life. Now that sounds psycho. Until you realize that that's actually much more common uh, than you think. 
So as an example, a person who cheaps out on insurance is a person whose money is more than, than their life. You have people who sign up for medical trials on drugs. They have no idea if it works. I'm not even talking about people, by the way, who actually have that disease. This is, they make money like this. I just actually saw a little a clip on this guy who was injected with a deadly form of shingles. Did you see this? Uh, you saw this? And he gets paid. They pay you to do this. That's a person whose money is more chaviva lehem, right, than, than their life. But you have many examples of this thing. When a person is going to do something which is risky, just imagine for a second, you have a very important business meeting. You step on it in your car to make the business meeting. You're driving 120 miles an hour on the highway because you don't want to miss the meeting. That's it, money more important than your life. Same thing, right? But we make these choices all the time. So first we kind of like, oh, shingles guy, total weirdo, right? Then you're like, well, going 120 miles an hour to get a meeting, that's not so, that's not so bad. That's not so weird, right? Okay, so what are we bringing this Gemara for? The Gemara is telling you that you have that idea also when it comes to money. A person who could love every Jew even if, as an example, it's more, it gets in the way of him himself, still the person is capable of doing it. But when it comes to money, oh my gosh. There was once a man who came to the, uh, the Briskorov and he was, a, uh, he was a butcher in Brisk. And the rabbi, you know, uh, ruled on, a, on an ox, whatever it was, on a fortune of money, and the rabbi ruled that it was tarif. So the guy says, okay, throws it out. Short while later, he has a, short, a small money dispute with somebody else in the community. The rabbi rules like the other guy, small amount of money. The guy goes crazy, he's cursing at the rabbi, he's not gonna listen, I'm gonna take this to another bedin, losing his mind. The rabbi said, last time I ruled against you in the kosher about the animal, you accepted it no problem, you walked out of there happy as Larry, that was thousands of dollars. This is a small monetary dispute. Guy says, yeah, but when you ruled that it was taref, I threw the cow in the garbage. Here, that money I'm giving to someone else. I'm not going to let that guy have one cent. Yet that, when it comes to money, it becomes very difficult for a person to love someone else. So I want to share with you a beautiful uh, understanding. There was an, a disagreement between the two great philosophers over the definition of what love is between Plato and Aristotle. And many times, Aflaton and uh, Aristo are brought down in, in, uh, in the Jewish writings about things or disagreements or conversations that they had. We have a recorded conversation between one of the great philosophers and Yirmiyahu. We have a recorded conversation, right? Rambam talks about Aristo all the time. So this is something which it's, they brought down in the Gemara. So you have all these different kind of conversations that kind of happened between the, the sages and the philosophers of, of Greece, the famous philosophers of Greece. Many ways the philosophers were influenced by ideas of the sages of the time. So listen to this. So Plato defined love as a connection between opposites. 
So if you have as an example, in his example, you have the earth in the way that the earth loves the rain. Right? It's the opposite of itself. It's arid, dry, it's static, it's, you know, the rain is fluid and it's, uh, you know, and, it, and it's, uh, uh, it's, it's, it's dynamic, it moves. Between the lokeach and the mocher, one person is trying to sell something, the other person is lokeach. When you fulfill, when you are the opposite of my uh, needs, so I have something and you don't, you have something and I don't. When someone is the opposite of one another, then that's when love is possible. But when, as an example, we're the same, when people are the same, that's when they fight, that's when they can't stand one another. That was uh, Plato's theory. Aristotle said, what are you talking about? Exactly the opposite is true. Exactly the opposite. Opposites, we say opposites attract. But generally, that's on a very um, superficial level. Maybe it attracts in terms of making you a little bit, because it's interesting. But any long-term relationship actually doesn't develop on the nature of opposites. It usually develops on finding common ground, both uh, emotionally, uh, spiritually, in, in the goals that you have, in the morals that you have. You know, you never find people, you know, super righteous people attracted, like, you know, to axe murderers because opposites attract. You know, I'm dating, I'm dating, I'm in the shidduch system, everyone's recommending to me, religious guys, I feel like if I could just have a hell's angel guy pull up on a bike, you know, swing in a chain, you know, that would be good for my base Yaakov sensibilities. Opposites attract. That's never happened in the history of the world. Okay? Says Aristotle, actually, it is the similarities that create a feeling of affection, of respect, of trust, uh, of warmth, and he brings, as a, interestingly enough, and the proof to this concept, you know, of, uh, of love being something that people, uh, that, that happens when people are similar, um, he says, is that if you take a look, Plato's definition of love is inherently flawed. He said, why does the earth love the rain? The parched earth. Why do I miss you like the deserts miss the rain? Right? Because I need something from you that I don't have. It reminds me of the famous line from Rabbi Tversky. man came to Rabbi Tversky and said, I love fish. And Rabbi Tversky said, what do you mean you love fish? He says, fish is delicious. I eat fish every day for breakfast, for lunch, for dinner. He says, you don't love fish, you love yourself. If you loved fish, you wouldn't eat it. <laughs> right? So the desert, why does it want the rain? Because it, it, want, it loves itself. Why does the seller love the buyer? Because the buyer is fulfilling the need. He needs to get rid of this property, or this issue, or this thing, or this product. The other guy has the money. So the love that a lokeach has for a mocher, this love of the opposite is in truth a love of one's self. So therefore that can't be defined, said Aristotle to Plato, uh, or at least the Platonian theory. That can't be de de defined as love. My friends, says the Arve Nachal something magnificent. He says, so if we look at our Pasuk now, we see it in a completely different light. The Pasuk says, You have an obligation to love your friend, Kamocha, like yourself. Maybe perhaps, he says, an alternate reading is, Love your friend. If you love the friend that is your opposite, 
If you love the friend that fulfills your needs, that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about when the friend that you love is just like you. They don't fill a need in you. They aren't your opposite. They aren't giving you what you don't have. All the times you hear people talk about love and in their description of love, what they're defining is actually a description of self-love. I love this person, they make me laugh. That means that you love yourself. I love this person, you know, they do, they're so nice to me. They do everything, they take care of me. That's you loving yourself. You love the person who loves you. That's loving yourself. Loving someone for being sensitive, for being giving perhaps, would only be seen as a true love of the other when the love and the concern and the care that they put into taking care of others is not only directed at you. So you could love your wife because she is a caring, nurturing partner. And if she is caring and nurturing to everybody else, then that's something that you respect about her independent of you. Is that clear? So that dis- description of when you love someone who is the same as you, that they have nothing to give you, they have nothing to add for you. That is true love. When we talk about how God loves the Jewish people, that is a paradigm for love. When parents love their young children, that is a paradigm for love. There's nothing the child can give the parents that the parents can't get themselves at that young age. There's nothing that we could give to God to add to God, to help him to solve his issues, right? He has, he doesn't have, he has no need of us. So God's love of us is pure. It is uh, powerful. So therefore, when the Pasuk communicates this idea, we're opening up a new vista in our understanding of what love means. Loving the one that's like you. You know, I say to people always, when they pray for Parnassah, they go up and they say, Hashem, please give me Parnassah. Please give Parnassah to the whole people. Israel, Right? That they should have their Parnassah berevach, simsum. They should have it, you know, with, uh, uh, with, 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 with abundance and not exactly what they need. It should be easy and not painful. Right? You pray for the whole Jewish people. Everybody. There's a Jew you haven't met yet. He lives in Bangladesh. You're praying for him. There's a Jew that lives in uh, some random city in the south of Israel. You're praying for him. Are you praying for your next door neighbor who's in the same business as you and is your direct competitor? That's Ve'aftarecha Kamocha. Not easy. So how do you love someone who does the same thing as you? Who's in the same business as you? Who has the same personality as you? My friends, to love someone like that, what do you need? You don't only need love. You need faith. And now you begin to understand why uh, Rabbi Akiva could say, This is the general principle in the Torah. The after everything else is within this principle. And the famous question that the commentators ask is, what do you mean? Loving your friend 
When you love someone else, that has what to do with lulav. If you love your neighbor like yourself, that has to do with Shabbat. How is that a general principle that encompasses all the Torah? And you know what the answer is? Of course, the answer to how it encompasses mitzvot between man and man is obvious. If you love your neighbor, you're not going to rip him off like the Chinuch says. You're not going to steal from him. You're not going to harm him. You're not going to charge him interest. You're not going to be jealous of his, uh, of his things because you love him. But how does it have to do with the mitzvot between you and God? And the answer is, because to love someone who's in the same line of work as you. You know, I remember there's uh, two guys that came to a singles event that we had in the shul. Anyway, they walk in, and you see this at every singles event that you run. You know, all the guys, all the girls, all the same. They walk down the stairs, they walk into the room. First thing, scanning. (laughs) Scanning the room. Who am I interested in? Who looks good to me? Who looks like they're a possibility? That's what happens. Every event that we do. <clears throat> right? So these two guys came in and they're scanning. And I walked up to them with a smile on my face because I kind of wish that that's not how singles thought about meeting people. So I walked up to both of them and I was like, I see you guys are both scanning the room together. I said, yeah. I said, you both came in. What's the... How does it work, like, if you both scan and find the same G? How do, like, how do you guys work that out? <laughs> he goes, Rabbi, it's not a problem. He goes, we go to all singles events together. You know why? He goes, our taste in women is exactly the opposite of one another. I don't know, I didn't get into it. Like, I like tall, she likes short. I like old, he likes young. I like rich, he likes poor. I, I, wasn't, I wasn't getting into it. But he says, our taste is the opposite. So it's never a problem because anyone he wants or he's interested in, I'm not interested in. Anyone I'm interested in, he's not interested in. And I was thinking to myself about this idea. To go to a place where you both want the same thing. What a disaster. You're introducing competition into the room. Every person, how many wives do they need? How many husbands do they need if they're not Mormon? One, they need one. <laughs> There's one woman out there for every man in the world. There's one man out there for every uh, woman in the world. HaKadosh Baruch Hu prepares the Zivugim. So this idea that someone else is going to beat you to the punch, it's, it doesn't hold water in the realm of emunah, of pure emunah. I'm worried that my competitor is gonna do well. What, you don't think there's enough people who could buy the uh, Slim Jim 3000 that you're selling on Amazon? There's enough people in the world. There's enough customers for him to have and for you to have. And you find it, by the way, in the world of business also. Randomly, you build a connection with one supplier and they like working only with you. Why only with you? You have the same product as the next guy. You're both making it in China. Right? What's the difference? HaKadosh Baruch Hu decided that you should get this route. HaKadosh Baruch Hu decided he should get that route. Never the twain shall meet. Is that clear? If that's the case, my friends, 
then we have uh, a very deep understanding here in this There's no one that can hurt you. There's no one that can take anything from you. There is no competition in your lane for what you need. Ultimately, everything that you're supposed to get, you are going to get. So why can't we, let's, just, let's get a little bit more love in our lives. A little bit less agenda-driven friendships. Agenda-driven networking. A little bit more uh, uh, connecting with people because they are worthy of our connection. Instead of meeting someone and asking yourself, what can I get from this friendship, from this relationship? Find people that are worth you saying to yourself, this person is so special, what could I give to this relationship? Imagine if that was the criteria for friends, for business partners, for spouses. It's, it's, a, it's hyperspeed. It's warp speed in relationships when you find those people. So the process actually of engaging is to find the people that are worthwhile um, to make that investment in. So let's, um, uh, let's end Bezrat Hashem with this one challenge for the week. The challenge for the week is to find one relationship in, uh, in your work, one relationship at home, one relationship with fr- in your friend circle, where you do something for somebody who's similar to you that is just coming from a place of pure love. You find someone who's in the same business and you offer them a tip, a little bit of help, a connection. I'm not saying you give away your buyer. I'm not telling you to do that, but to help them. Even if the help has nothing to do with you. Find someone at home, do something without any expectation of something in return. That's ve'ahavta, kamocha. Find a friend that helping them will do nothing for you. In fact, in the language of our chazal, there's a chesed, a kindness, which is called a chesed shel emet. What is a chesed of emet? When you find someone on the side of the road, you don't know who he is, John Doe, and just to respect the dead, you bury him. Why is it called chesed shel emet, the chesed of truth? Because it only, your only agenda here is to help this person. They're dead, they can't help you. And I was thinking to myself, everyone knows what a chesed shel emet is. What if we had adopted that term to ahava shel emet? etc etc so your homework for this week you can report back uh, in messaging or in person is to find a way to love without it boomeranging back to your spouse to your someone in your uh, in your workplace in your work arena and someone in your friend circle don't wait for them to thank you don't ask them for something in return don't say you owe me one. Just tell them I listened to a class and I have to do this. <laughs> really don't say that. That's terrible advice. <laughs> that will definitely kill any embers of love. <laughs> All right? Um, I want to wish everyone a Shabbat Shalom and Be'ezrat Hashem, a week that is full of Ahava ve'achva. Shalom ve'erod baruch Adonai le'olam. Amen ve